0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. This is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. So it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst, by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning, will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. It is my pleasure to introduce to you this morning our guest preacher, Reverend John, John Stone. For years, she was the church growth consultant for the Southwest District, and then she became one of the ministers at First Unitarian Oklahoma City.
1: This day is a gift, a gift of love, a gift from God, a gift from life itself. Come let us worship together. This is the day we have been given to live in, to love in, and in time to die in. Let us be grateful for the incredible gifts of life. Let us rejoice in the promise and possibilities of this day.
0: People do ask, what holds you together as Unitarian Universalists if you have no creed? And there are many answers to that. And I believe that our mission statement encompasses most of them. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
1: I am very pleased to be with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me into your pulpit. I have two readings to offer this morning. The first is from M. Scott Peck's book, The Different Drum, Community Making and Peace. He writes, because a community includes members with many different points of view and the freedom to express them, it comes to appreciate the whole of a situation far better than an individual, couple, or an ordinary group, incorporating the dark and the light, the sacred and the profane, the sorrow and the joy, the glory and the mud. Its conclusions are well-rounded. Nothing is likely to be left out. With so many frames of reference, it approaches reality more and more closely. Realistic decisions, consequently, are more often guaranteed in community than in any other human environment. An important aspect of the realism of community deserves mention Humility. While rugged individualism predisposes one to arrogance, the soft individualism of community leads to humility. Begin to appreciate each other's gifts, and you begin to appreciate your own limitations. Witness others share their brokenness, and you become able to accept your own inadequacy, and imperfection. Be fully aware of human variety and you will recognize the interdependence of humanity. As a group of people do these things, as they become a community, they become more and more humble, not only as individuals but as a group, and hence more realistic. From what kind of group Would you expect a wise, realistic decision? An arrogant one or a humble one? And in a completely different vein, the poet Mary Oliver, The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself on the grass, the one eating sugar out of my hand, who's moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who's gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your wild and precious life?
0: Now is the time in our service when we breathe together deeply into that place in our heart where we are most who we are. It is in this place where we can speak to God as we understand God, or listen to our inner wisdom, or just follow our breath. In all of these ways, we can seek stillness, compassion, clarity. Let us enter the silence together, understanding that in this congregation, small child noises and small noises of life count as silence.
1: What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? It's not original to observe that life is short and that it is a gift, Religion comes, as the late UU minister Forrest Church has said, from the human predicament of being alive and having to die. If indeed our days are short, what are we to do with them? That may be the greatest essentially human question, more significant than who or if God is and what, if anything, happens when we die. Yet that is a question that has no single answer. It may be where our individuality stands out most starkly. We cannot all do the same thing with what Mary Oliver has called your one wild and precious life because we are not the same. The grasshopper does what she does, and so does the swan and the black bear. It seems the animals know what to do. Even the trees and flowers sort themselves out. We humans... Wonder. I have a brother who's 51 weeks younger than I am, just less than a year. By the time I was two, he was bigger than I was. We grew up very much together. Early on, we figured out that some things he was better at, drawing and sports, and some things I was better at, music and academics. I was especially good at reading aloud, which is not something that you can use in a lot of careers, but in this one, it's really kind of come in handy. (laughs) Unlike many siblings, we did not compete with one another, but chose in some unconscious way to leave whole swaths of experience to the other, the one who was good at it. While there were downsides to that approach, I didn't find my athletic side or develop any visual artistry until I was an adult, our cooperation and collaboration surprised people who were used to sibling squabbling. We recognized and appreciated each other's gifts. To find what we are to do in the world requires a lot of work, requires some discernment about our own gifts, and it's easier said than done. Our gifts don't show up if we aren't willing to try different things, and sometimes we diminish our own gifts. Oh, it's no big deal. That was easy. Well, If it's that easy, it's probably a gift for you. It's not easy for other people. The process of discerning gifts, examining where we've been, what we've done, what tasks and settings have filled our spirits, and What tasks and settings have depleted our resources? This rightly takes a lifetime. Various tests can offer shortcuts, not the ones on Facebook. But you may have taken a Myers-Briggs test at work or done an interest inventory in school when you were trying to figure out a major. But the most effective way to come to know your gifts may be through loving, supportive community When someone else sees what you can do, sees what quality of personality you bring to a particular situation, sees a gift of yours and says, Look at that. Wow. Then we make the discovery and can own its value. And it was in my little UU fellowship in Cumberland, Maryland, that that, uh, 25 years ago, somebody came to me and said, You could be a minister. That was my call. I often tell new members that the church can be a safe place to risk discovering gifts. If you've never sung in a choir but you love to sing, you can try it at church. If you've never taught a class or organized a fundraiser or read aloud in public or told your story, church community can be a place where you can try and maybe discover That you have a gift you didn't know about. The risk can be too great sometimes at work or in school, but church, church is a great place to grow into your best self. No recipe or instruction booklet exists for developing the precious you that you are. Because, like the biodiversity of a wild field, we are all unique combinations of particular gifts and challenges, histories, and experience. Our genetic codes, our upbringing, the books we read, the movies we watch, the groups we've been part of, the cultures we have grown up in and associated with, everything that is part of us shapes us into something singular. Even our mistakes and losses and struggles have contributed to who we are and what we have to offer the world. And South African Anglican Bishop Desmond Tutu said, we are different so we can know our need of one another. For no one is ultimately self-sufficient. The completely self-sufficient person would be subhuman. So, to form a full community, different gifts are essential. There's no simple curriculum to develop and engage your gifts. But in church, people will guide you, help you, and support you. They will even challenge you and hold you accountable. Church is a good place to learn what you have to give to the world and to do it. But in this, Unitarian Universalist churches are not unusual. My favorite resource for helping people discover their gifts comes from a Lutheran press. You can learn more about yourself and what you have to offer in any congregational setting, in any true community, as long as it's a loving, healthy, and supportive environment. But there is something that I think we Unitarian Universalists do uniquely well, and it's something the world desperately needs. Not only do we appreciate each other's talents and flares, we value each other's thoughts beliefs, and opinions, even when they differ from our own. I remember sitting in a covenant group in my church, listening as people shared their ideas about what is ultimate. A few used the word God, but not everyone did. I remember the comment that came from an octogenarian, a devout humanist who didn't have much use for for God, He leaned forward from his armchair and spoke slowly. I am coming to understand that what some of you mean by God may be what I call mystery. We don't share the same vocabulary, but that doesn't mean we can't share our hearts and minds. A convinced atheist has been regularly attending my class on spirituality at First Unitarian Church in Oklahoma City, though he isn't quite sure what the word means. But he has said that the class helps him to become more conscious in the way he lives. And he values consciousness. In return, the co-teacher of the class and I modify the vocabulary of questions and discussion points, adding words about consciousness in our usual language of connection with spirit, and we've all grown from his willingness to bring his perspective to the table. In some ways, the religious questions are easy compared to the ones of what we will do in the world. I remember a story of a group of UUs who were gathered together at a summer camp. They heard of an anti-nuclear rally happening nearby, and the urge to join the protests swept through the camp. But there were people who were not crazy about the idea. Some who didn't think a protest was the most effective way to bring change. And more significantly, some who worked with the nuclear industry and believed that it would help reduce the use of coal and oil. And they were really on quite opposite sides. There was discussion, even heated discussion, but no resolution. So the camp could take no position. But those campers who were interested did indeed join the protest. And here's where the story says something about who we are uniquely as Unitarian Universalists. When the protesters returned from the rally, they found that those who had stayed behind had prepared for them all a feast, a celebration of togetherness and oneness, a party to demonstrate that truly we need not think alike, we need not even act alike to love alike. At our best, we UUs recognize that our differences are not a liability, but actually an advantage. We can learn from people who disagree with us. When someone says something that makes me say, aha, that's where our assumptions are different. I am rewarded by more deeply coming to understand both myself and the other person. And that makes me know the world better. As Scott Peck said in the reading this morning, it makes our decisions as a community more realistic. Maturity develops as I say, this is me, that is you, and we're both fine. The existence of different ways of thinking need not threaten our unity. Though I would be naive to make it sound easy. I have witnessed more than one church fight. In Unitarian Universalist churches. In what I call the good fights, I saw a quality of love and concern, of true respect. I remember being in a tiny fellowship that was quarreling over whether to dismiss a minister. And the atmosphere was tense and strained. People were leaning forward. One person spoke at a time and others listened intently. You could see it in their faces, their brains churning around to figure out, what does this mean? What am I hearing? In the end, the decision was nearly unanimous. The one person who disagreed felt heard, not only in the meeting, but afterwards as people sincerely made sure she was okay and that they were okay with one another. The difficult fights looked different. Again, emotions ran high but they were less restrained. People were unable to hear one another. Discussion escalated to raised voices, violations of trust and name-calling. People formed sides and carried out whisper campaigns. And when sides form and one side attacks the other, the other often responds in kind, which is decidedly not kind. It can get ugly. But I've also seen churches Survive such battles and forgive one another. Oh, sometimes people storm off while others stay and work for healing. But ultimately, when they remind one another that they're in covenant and in it for the long haul, they can come back together. My colleague in Oklahoma City, Mark Christian, often reminds us that if you stay around a church long enough, one of two things will happen. The church will disappoint you, Or you will disappoint the church. Maybe both. The church may take a position or refuse to take a position contrary to your own views. Someone in leadership may hurt you by rejecting your gifts or stepping on your toes. Your heart may even be broken. On the other hand, you may fail to follow through on a commitment you've made, or you may violate your own principles in some interaction. The disappointments are important, yes, but what matters more is what happens next. How do we handle the hurting and being hurt? How do we heal? Because we UUs take covenant seriously, we draw ourselves back into covenant, confessing our errors, forgiving one another, and starting again. Not an easy course. But how much does our whole world need to learn the gift of reconciliation that truly abiding by covenant offers us? So, we bring our different gifts to the table. We bring different opinions and ideas about what we can and should do together, how we should be together Sometimes we have to agree to disagree and even act independently of one another. And sometimes we have to act as an institution even when we're not in full agreement. Can we not find something that we agree on and work together? We can indeed. It can take time, sometimes generations. Take, for example, the civil rights for African Americans. If we go back far enough into Unitarian and Universalist history, we can find early condemnations of slavery from the Universalists, but we find Unitarians all over the map on the subject. Our beloved Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, and though Unitarian President Millard Fillmore, yes, Millard Fillmore was a Unitarian, Though he personally opposed slavery, he signed the Fugitive Slave Law, the very same law that Unitarian minister Theodore Parker vehemently and perhaps even violently opposed. Parker's church even included former slaves like William and Ellen Craft, who could have been arrested under the law. And they were just as much Unitarians as John C. Calhoun, the Southern Unitarian who staunchly defended slavery. Yet somehow, despite our narrow cultural context of Unitarian Universalist Universalism and our difficult history, 50 years ago, we came through at a crucial moment in the march in Selma, Alabama, that has been celebrated this month. Ministers came, freedom riders came, Unitarian Universalists came through. A couple even died for their convictions. And I think that work equipped us for campaigns that were to come, many of them branded as standing on the side of love, campaigns for same-sex marriage, for immigrants, for inclusion of Muslims in the public square. And none of the work, including the push for equal justice for African Americans, is done. But we have learned something about how to coalesce and make a difference in the conversation how to change the world. And I don't think we could get there if we hadn't learned to value the differences among us, to listen to each other's stories, and to stories from non-UUs different from ourselves, if we hadn't learned to take seriously our ideals, to make mistakes, to make amends, and to move on. You see, being in a church doesn't only call us individually to grow into our best selves. Being church calls us collectively to become the best we can as an institution. Theologian Walter Brueggemann speaks about institutions as well as individuals having souls. Not just structures and foundations and purposes and principles and values, but souls, souls. That implies that an institution, like an individual, has a particular profile of skills and gifts and challenges, and that an institution can grow and deepen itself, can mature and can contribute to the world in its distinctive way. The way, if you wish, that it is called. How is Unitarian Universalism called? Call, where the world's deep, Needs meet our deep gladness, as Frederick Buchner described vocation. I can think of no greater need in the world today than to learn how to communicate across and despite differences. Religious differences, racial differences, socioeconomic differences, differences in ideas about family, in assumptions about the world, In political party, when I think of UUs at our best, most powerfully living out our principles and values, I think of us talking across our differences, finding reconciliation. And I know we have something valuable and unique to offer. The world needs us. The world needs us at our best, holding different perspectives side by side and honoring the individuals holding them. And when we fail, coming together and reconciling. It's the work that will lead us individually and collectively to be the best selves we can be and to build the best institutions we can build, to change the world, to discover how to spend our wild and precious lives. So may it be. Amen.
0: Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together.
1: And now, may the love which overcomes all differences, which puts to flight all fears, which heals all wounds, be in us and among us, now and always. Amen.
0: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu dot o-r-g